Welcome back to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. We are your hosts, Stephen with Mark Hazard Merc number eight, and Andy with Kickers Inc. number eight. Um, so, started in 1986, the New Universe was an imprint from Marvel Comics dedicated to a more grounded and less fantastic approach to comics and world building. The idea was the world outside your window with real time progress and reasonably, maybe cinematically realistic technology, physics, astronomy, biology, steroids. Uh, <laughs> eight new comic series launched in one month, set in our world in 1986. But now as the stories progress to 1987, the world still largely doesn't know about paranormals except a few secret agencies. Um, so with our podcast, you can follow along with us each week as we go through each comic in the order they hit the spinner rack or just check out individual comics if you already have a favorite. Um, we have a website, kickersinc.com. Uh, on that website, you can check out our super sleuth sweepstakes, answer some questions, win some prizes. A uh, new contest potentially coming soon. Uh, we have Twitter at Kickers Inc. Link to that's on the website as well. And another good place to check out is the Facebook fan page, not run by us, but is Marvel Comics New Universe fans. And that's a good resource too. We have something fun going on over there. This week, I'll be covering Mark Hazard Merck. Not Merck Hazard Merck. Merck I want to say Merck Hazard Mark now. Combat veteran Mark Hazard has been a soldier of fortune since Vietnam, but he has lost his relationship with his son and ex-wife. He tries to put his family back together and reevaluate his life while dealing with the real-world repercussions from his decades of fighting. This week, according to Marvel Age's solicits ahead of time, uh, Mark Hazard must choose between his contract and his conscience when he discovers that a candidate he's been hired to protect is less than he appears to be. Clients written by Doug Murray. I'm sorry. That's already been covered in uh, number six. Yeah, it's a good recap. That's <laughs> yeah, good. From uh, Universe News, however, we've got a slightly more up-to-date uh, one. The Vatican hires Hazard to retrieve a stolen relic, holy relic from Lebanon. That's mm. pretty on the money. How do you get that, John? We'll find out, I guess. <laughs> and, and so this week I'll be covering Kickers Inc. Uh, top professional football player Jack Magnaconti gains real superpowers, possibly from his shifty scientist brother, but probably from the white event. Uh, when his brother is killed, he bands together with his wife and teammates to form Kickers Inc a last resort answer to people who need help as well as a po possible tax scam. <laughs> They've never really denied that in the strip. So it's kind of a running gag, but yeah, mm -hmm. could be a little truth to it. I sense uh, that brick has like some shenanigans and finance. Yeah. I feel like brick would be the honest one, but, but yeah, he, he could be up to something. <laughs> uh, so this week kickers Inc. number eight, the smashers are in the super bowl. Which is apparently parallel to the NFL Super Bowl, but uh, will the temptation for Jack Magnaconti to use his edge to win be too great to resist? Written by Terry Cavanaugh, penciled by Rod Wiggum, inked by Tony DeZuniga. Um, and then we get an, also a from Universe News a shorter blurb it's the Super Bowl, but is Jack too powerful to play? So, mm -hmm. hey, those are correct. We are going to be talking about the Super Bowl, as it were. 
Yeah, it should have like a little TM after it or something in there whenever they mention it. The uh, New Year universe be... always plays it pretty fast and loose with the uh, brands and such. So, yeah, I don't know. It seems like I'm guessing the NFL is a lot more like proprietary about things now than they were back then. I mean, yeah, more likely to sue and get cranky. <laughs> Yeah, and so since we are honoring the fact that new the universe news exists, uh, we'll also talk at the end about uh, the question of the month from universe news. What do you see as the essential difference between the Marvel U and the new U? And a bunch of editors gave their answers. So, well, hopefully, some insights into how they're approaching it. Anything's possible. Uh, we need like a whole interview with each of these guys and. Uh, unfortunately, that was a long time ago. Anyway, so uh, our first book tonight, Mark Hazard Merck, number eight, which was uh, cover dated June 1987 and probably hit the stands March 3rd, 1987. Um, so last couple of issues, Mark has been uh, going on assignments Um doing his mercenary gig, um, sometimes for friends, sometimes um, for money, sometimes for incentives. <laughs> but uh, let's see. This month's uh, issue has a nice cover. I think, again, Mike Zek. I'm not sure I see the uh, signature, but it's got the same uh, look. Um, it's nice... Uh, Shot of him, uh, of Mark, with a uh, handgun standing behind a, uh, let's say, Middle Eastern person with a uh, rifle, AK-47, something like that. Um, and uh, the, the kefia scarf, that sort of head wrapping you get in the um, Lebanon area. Yeah, he very much looks like a, I mean, a pretty generic... Middle Eastern bad guy with the AK and such. Notably, though, the the Mark Hazard logo has got blue flames. Yeah, I, I I don't remember getting blue before. It's always so like red or orange, and this time, it's like an ice cold blue. Interesting. It means nothing, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, it spices things up a little. I don't know. Um, new universe uh, logo on top is in orange. Also interesting. Um, so just sort of a suggestive uh, thing I've really uh, seen from the issue. Inside, we've got a nice splash page, though, that is um, sort of hilarious. It's, <laughs> it's Mark from the back, and he's looking at several of his friends lying down, and sort of flying at him is a sort of a auto gyro welded to a wheelchair driven by his friend treetop and treetop is yelling at him. I'm going to kill them all, Mark. Then I'm coming for you. He's yeah. He's killing. I think Sergeant major Scotty and Joan Mal. Maybe priestess. (laughs) Yeah. This is totally like if treetop were like a disabled villain in like the adam west batman or something like he would be flying <laughs> around in this weird copter thing with the guns attached to it 
Ugh. I called it the treetop copter of doom. Nice. And then I don't think there's any way you can top this. So like, you know, they set the bar too high for this issue by putting the tree copter in the front. Yeah. If if this was like the payoff at the end of the book, I would have been like a a plus plus. Um, but Mark is just saying no, no. The uh, title of this uh, issue is Cestus Dei. Um, my Latin pronunciation isn't that great, so bear with me. Story is again Doug Murray, art Gray Morrow, and Vince Coletta, presumably on inks or maybe finishes. Um, so it's a bit of a, a flashback to our, our first uh, couple of issues of art style. It's a little closer to that anyway. Well, flip the page, and Mark is, uh, of course, in bed, and this is a dream. It would be great if Nightmask showed up in every New Universe character's dreams, but... <laughs> yeah, that would have been good. Like the Nightmask month or something, where he's in every comic. Yeah, there you go. Um, so Mark's like, treetop, no! And then uh, we see that Mark has a uh, feminine companion with him. Mark, that's three days in a row. You can't keep on like this. It's a very attractive uh, blonde woman who I'm guessing is Priestess. Yeah, they Although don't, really don't say, but it's got to be. never right? name her. Yeah. yeah. Um, like he was going to stay with her a couple <clears throat> of issues ago, and then she just didn't show up in last month. And now maybe we're, I don't know, back to his. Uh, Focus more on his domestic uh, side, I guess. So she remembers last last issue. You weren't like this when you got back from Central America, which is, yes, where he was working last time. Yeah, it's okay when I'm working. Got to get back in the field. Start looking tomorrow. Yes, it's okay when you're working. I'm not really sure what she meant. <laughs> Does that mean he's abusive? Like, where are we getting at here? <laughs> um. Yeah, well, luckily we don't see too much of that relationship. Uh, but well, she's uh, like a badass karate sensei, right? So I mean, I mean, here she's just kind of like lying in bed all the time. But yeah, she was. Uh, I think that that cover, the first issue she was in, had like her with a machine gun, and so I keep, I kept waiting for her to like burst into um, action. Yeah, so far not, but. Nope. Hope Springs Eternal. So um, the next page, it's a bit of a montage of Mark talking to people looking for work. But getting back... Oh, and we have a narrator. Well, sort of a narrator. <clears throat> getting back to work is not easy for a mercenary who's broken a contract. Oh, here we go again. <laughs> the contract. We had a contract, Mark ah. Hazard. <laughs> uh, I take issue with that because, like, He's broken every contract as far as I can keep track, right? Like, you know, overthrow the government. Uh, okay, let's also kill the rebels, right? <laughs> Supposed to be protecting a guy. Uh, let's go off the rails and like alienate the guy who hired me, right? You know, it's just every single time he's stormed off in the end, not taking the money, like, you know, something. It's a good point. Yes. So, Mark. Why do we back. care about the Nazi contract? It's the only <laughs> one that anyone's ever been mad that he's. That's broken. the one you guys are hounding me for? Really? I've been blackballed for not working for a Nazi? 
I, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Mark's uh, back with the priestess for a panel. Gotta find something. Then he's uh, turning a guy down. I can't quite tell what this guy's uh, background is, but he called. He says, "No, Hamish. No matter what, I won't get that desperate." We shall see, my friend. You know where to reach me. Hey, I don't know what like ethnicity that's supposed to be. Sort of a. Also. Yeah. But anyway. Um, so then we got a, a, a mystery guy showing up, Mr. Hazard. I believe you're looking for work. Use this ticket. I think you will be satisfied. Who then just walks away. Well, the next day, Mark's at the airport. He's a pretty casual flyer here. He just hops on a plane. This is stupid, but I had to find something to do. So he's uh, saying to himself, should be somewhere on the street as he's walking down. Uh, let's call it Rome. Um, and then a, someone is letting him into a side, uh, into a door, um, and he sort of gets handed off to someone else who keeps, you know, showing him down some hallways and to some very old dungeon looking architecture. Where the places are we going? Patience, Mr. Hazard, we are nearly there. And he gets shown into a sort of a nice office looking place and a um, sort of a, oh, what do you call it? Well, a Monsignor is what he calls him later. So a guy in this uh, robe from the uh, Catholic church, sort of a higher up. So Mr. Hazard, sorry, I'm a bit late. Please come with me. So you see, Mr. Hazard, we needed someone rather special for this job. Sure, let's hear about this special job. Certainly, our sect recently made a major find in the Holy Land, the Ring of the Fisherman. It has been sought for years, and we start seeing a montage of this, uh, what he's talking about. So some group uh, found a relic in the Middle East somewhere, and um, then a group of terrorists, they're not sure who, broke in and began shooting. Um, They killed most of the expedition and left with uh, one priest, Father Capistron, and the ring. Twelve dead. Um, their government in Italy doesn't seem very helpful, but, I mean, what do you expect? I don't know. It's, this is kind of like an Indiana Jones plot. Yeah. Right? it's a like, little... oh, We've discovered the relic, and then all of a sudden they get shot up by a mysterious group, and... They can't get someone to help them uh, in official circles, but they're like, okay, well, let's find someone who can do unofficial things. Would you help us retrieve the ring, Mr. Hazard? You, of course, will be well paid. Why me, Monsignor? Because you are a man of principle, Mr. Hazard, a moral man willing to fight even a friend when you think you are right. See, we don't care about contracts in the church. We we deal on a higher plane. So uh, anyway. Does he know about treetop then? Maybe. Because they're like a universal mercenary file that like everybody knows now. And that's why he's blacklisted. Like, I feel like it happened in a foreign country. It wasn't exactly like. I I think Mal talked a lot about this. You go to the, like (laughs) that gun range where they used to hang out and everyone's like, Hey, where's treetop? Where's Mark? Oh, Mark shot treetop. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's a story. Let me tell you. (laughs) 
Um, Do you have a sense of like why we got all those panels of like being led in and like passed off to different people and like through all these doorways and stuff? Like it seemed like they were making a big deal of it, but I, in my head, I'm like, like, okay, what, why, what's the point of this? I was trying to figure yeah, it out. I mean, I think it, the, it, when he's in Rome, he doesn't necessarily think Vatican. And then he gets this sort of side gate inside. And then the guy is in Monsignor robes. So it's not like he's hiding that who he, you know, what, what, what he is, but um, it's very like off the books and sort of. Okay. So there's sneaking Mark hazard in the back way, kind of. That's my sense of it. Cause it did seem like, are we like going through a dungeon here um, to, to get into just to see the guy? Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a bit of a, you know, the, it, at the end we get a little bit more uh, on, on the position of these people and that also sort of helps. So he says um, he's got a, uh, someone to go with him. Uh, your companion on this quest He's literally giving him a quest. <laughs> How many experience points do I get? Can this guy Best carry a bunch of kind stuff? Of it's, yeah, so, you said a barmaid. That's right. Well, this will also work. Um, this is Father Kevin Eugene Johnson of the Cestus Dei, the Fist of God. Thanks, Monsignor. I'd rather pick my own man for a mission. No, it's impossible. We only have 48 hours until the ring is... Uh, everything will get destroyed and they'll kill the guy. You have to like, go do the job by now. So next day, they're on a plane out of Rome. Let me just... Um, Kevin Eugene Johnson. I know we say we don't have code names and things, but really, it's like the most forgettable vanilla name I think I've ever seen for a character in my life. <laughs> he drives a gray Honda Civic. <laughs> <laughs> he has no distinguishing features or marks. Oh, I can blend into any crowd. So uh, they're talking on the plane. When we reach the Lebanon, let me do all the talking. I have some good contacts there. As you wish, Mr. Hazard, you're the boss. So um, they get there and they go see some friend of uh, Mark's. And that's the situation of all. Can you help us? But of course, Mark, we owe you much. The men you seek are in northern Lebanon. We'll have you. We'll give you a guide or something. Suddenly, shots all over the place. Everybody down. Ad for thrashing the movie. Um, thrashing, not thrashing. thrashing. No G. Oh, with uh, Josh Brolin, young Josh Brolin. Yeah. Um. So the the next page, Mark has a machine gun, and so does uh, Father Kevin. We'll call him. Didn't think this was your sort of work, but Kevin is actually shooting a bunch of people, and I don't see Mark shooting one. So, of course, this is what the Cestus Dei does. <laughs> oh. Murderous wing of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, Mark uh, says to you know cover me, and then he uh, maybe a grenade launcher. Yeah. Something goes over where the snipers at and uh, blows up. That should finish that. Amal is pretty happy. Once again, you have helped us, my friend. Now go to the city. Uh, later still, um, they're getting pulled over in a Syrian checkpoint. The Syrians take their security very seriously where Anglos are concerned. 
apparently they were wise to do so. <sighs> Father machine gun. That's <laughs> oh, a nice city you have here, Mo. It'd be a shame if everyone else in the world was fighting your civil war for you here. Anyway. Now they're in Beirut, which is Lebanon, of course. Um, Mark and Kevin, Father Kevin have a nice hotel room and uh, Mark's living it up. They go to a belly dancing um, bar or restaurant or something. This is the place. We'll find our contact here. So they meet a, a I don't know, Peter Lorre character from Casablanca, I think. Pencil thin mustache. Who tells them, you know, uh, I will. We'll, uh, I'll meet you back at the hotel. Wait a few minutes and then follow me. So um, Father Kevin and Mark um, head out, but suddenly there's some uh, nefarious shadows and some guys jump them. Finish them quickly. Um, they It's mostly fist to fist on Mark's part, but Father Kevin pulls a knife on uh, the guy who's, he's fighting with. Nice technique. Someday you'll have to tell me where a priest learned those moves, says Mark. In Northern Ireland, growing up. Think this was a coincidence? Eh, we better move on. Northern Ireland. I, I guess I should have been doing an Irish accent for the guy. but Yeah, too late now. Every other Irish character in the new universe looks like a leprechaun. So I <laughs> this World outside your window. <laughs> so they get back. There's a light on. <clears throat> they in their room, so they sort of jump in, but it's just a package friend, some uh, assistance from a mall, like a map, some guns, and uh, tells them where to go. So they head out less than an hour later. They're somewhere in Old Town, and they're looking at a couple of guards, and they also spot uh, a sentry way up in a bell tower, I guess. And Father Kevin offers. Leave him to me. Just take the others and say two minutes. He's looking at his knife. Two minutes later, Mark uh, goes in with, again, old judo chop, takes down uh, the two guards. And then the guy who, up above who's been stabbed falls right next to him. So, okay, there you go. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I had trouble with that scene when I was reading it, but yeah, it makes sense now. Yeah, I... I, I on the second or third go through, it's like, oh, I see. It's the, been thrown down. Because, yeah, then um, Father Kevin's pulling the, or cleaning off the knife. He basically, like, he has two expressions, right? There's, like, blank-faced guy where he's just kind of, like, staring and, you know, getting business done or whatever. And then, like, totally looking pleased with himself anytime he has his knife. <laughs> <laughs> he's always, like, cleaning it off, looking at it like, oh, this knife. Yeah, you're right. That smile just comes up whenever the knife's in his hand. Yeah. Otherwise, he's a real glum, glum fella. So the next page, we have a second splash page, actually, which is um, pretty cool. From uh, behind Mark and Father Kevin uh, going into this a large room, where in the back we see uh, this um, priest who'd been kidnapped, and he's... Um, tied um, to the wall several feet above the ground. So it's kind of hanging there just below a large cross. So, so if you think about this for a second, and, and I'm noticing it as you're describing it, 
you know so yeah they got him like strung up on the wall like under the cross like super symbolic looking like this dude hanging there but then right. if you look at the guys underneath him like they're laying they're sitting on like a cot right so presumably they're kind of like camped out there and are sleeping the night like right underneath their captor dude <laughs> like hopefully they let him out to go to the bathroom or something like i feel like that'd be really uncomfortable <laughs> some awkward moments there right underneath this beat up priest and you gotta try and get some sleep yeah i mean yeah you would definitely get some noises out of this guy if, like he's just hanging there and all night like that very um i imagine this is like um because of the war that's been going on in Beirut for a while at this point, it's like, you know, like an abandoned church that they've taken over. So that's why everything looks so crappy. So, um, yeah, who knows if, uh, that's like a, uh, a long-term, um, campground for these guys or not. So Mark and father Kevin hit him hard. Let's do our job. Keep me covered. Kill them. Stop them. Kill them and the old man now. Old? Father Capistron <laughs> looks like 40. Come on. <laughs> so there's uh, Mark S. Uh, like, uh, Johnson, give me the knife. <laughs> Johnson throws it into the chest of the guy who's about to kill Mark. Um, Mark cuts down the father. The ring. We must save the ring. And somehow one of these goons gets behind him. So he's holding a gun to the uh, priest's head. Mark uh, look, drops his gun, I guess. And uh, uh, he's like just waiting there. And Father Kevin, no, they must not win. He shoots at um, the guy holding the gun on him. But also probably uh, Father Capistron himself. What? More knives go flying back and forth. Uh, Mark seems to throw one at a guy who's about to uh, stab Father Kevin. He's now uh, looking at uh, Father Capistron, who's on the ground with uh, blood coming out of him. He's still alive. Well, Father Kevin's there and gives him the last rites. And uh, meanwhile, Mark is looking over at this ring and some papers that are right next to it. Uh, Father Kevin's like, all right, let's go. And a couple of days later, we're back on an airplane. And Mark and Father Kevin are talking on the plane. I have to worry. It's my responsibility until we get back to the Holy See. And some hours later, in, in, back in Rome, they go through the back entrance again and see the Monsignor. My friends, you have done it. Yeah, we've done it. <laughs> Mr. Hazard, you sound bitter. I found some papers. They tell a nasty story. Your sect was banned by the church, wasn't it? Ooh. <laughs> so that, that's, that was the other thing was like, not only is this like kind of secret, but this group is kind of uh, hidden and uh, banished. So they have to be like extra double Dutch uh, secret. Your little dig with Dutch secret. I am sorry. I don't know. So, is that an extra layer of secret? It's the layer before pop secret. Um, it's the sect was banned and your little dig was your way to try to get back into the church's good graces. 
But you blew it, digging in Lebanon. When the Druze found out you were there, they couldn't wait to hit you. Then you got real dumb, tried to pay off deal, and reneged. Real, real dumb. Anyway, Father Kevin is coming up behind him with the knife again. And Mark isn't too impressed. He flips him over, takes his uh, knife away, and breaks the blade. Never play games with a professional, Monsignor, or whatever you are. I'll take my money now in cash. Um, it's like, uh, but don't worry, I'm not going to kill you. I'm the moral man, remember? But he opens the door and there's another high-ranking church official. I don't know what. Yeah, he has a somewhat fancier hat. <laughs> yes. The, the level of the fancy hat comes in to uh, investigate things, along with uh, three very Italian-looking policemen. Um, so he says, uh, try to explain it all to these gentlemen. Ciao. Ooh, nice. Um, so he's last page. We have later back in the Big Apple, Mark goes up to a priest who's just sort of standing outside a church there. Fair father for the needy, all of them. This envelope of cash that he'd taken from the Monsignor gives it to him. And then he's back at priestesses, maybe. And she, he's in bed again. Sleep well, Mark. Sleep in peace. Thanks. Peace. Maybe. We'll see. While well, visions of the priest he just saw and Father Capistran are sort of floating around him. It's a weird dream to have when you have an attractive woman in bed with you. <laughs> can't can't perform unless I imagine two or three priests around me as well. What? Um, you know, yeah, you gave great... all that money to the church, and they're just going to use it to cover up some kind of scandal. I I got to tell you, I have like. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm poor. Uh, I've always hated the trope of like, I need money. I've got to do anything for money. And then five minutes later, I'm going to give away all the money I just earned. It's like, how about not? You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I find that I like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gray Morrow does a great uh, attractive female face. Um, priestess, if that is her. Um, good job. There's not a lot of other women in this. There's the belly dancer, but there's not like uh, a second uh, female character. And um, it's a pretty straightforward story. I don't know. Yeah, I could have uh, done for some like relationship drama or something, you know? So let me see. Um, so Sestus Dei is um, supposedly not actually a thing in the Catholic church. It's a, it was a title of a book that came out in 1983 by John Maddox Roberts, which is actually a science fiction book. So um, I'm guessing it was uh, something the editors of Marvel at the time were familiar with. But it's like a thousand years in the future and churches have sort of interstellar um, reach and father going to act, acting as an operative so maybe a little uh, overlap. But... Yeah, this feels more like, I mean, I haven't read them, but like those Dan Brown kind of like hidden conspiracy kind of religious sect. Yeah, very rough draft of that. Yeah, the uh, Illuminati something, but um, Opus Dei, I think is a, like pops up sometimes. People think that's like a secret organization, although it's quite 
well known and you know, publicly public records are available. Um, I should also say Cestus Dei is apparently the basket of God, not the fist of God. Hmm. And it was just last issue we had the fist of the devil. Um, Pun- Puno Diablo. Yeah. Well, fortress. I, I, I'm familiar with the word Cestus because it's like a weapon in the Dark Souls video games. It's like a punching fist thing. So I don't know. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, I, but I don't know Latin. So it's, um, um, <clears throat> yeah, I was thinking Cetus, like whale of God, but no, it's like basket. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It could be a, like a medieval weapon that it just didn't pop up in the Google Translate. So yeah. And did you look up Ring of the Fisherman as well? That I did. Yeah, and that's a real thing. Although it's um, just a, a signet ring that each pope gets in succession, and then when he dies, it's destroyed. Yeah. So, so that made it feel like like why is it a big deal, right? Like the, I, it wasn't like the first one or like. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine if they'd have been a little more specific and said like, this is the, you know, famous Pope's ring, you know, from like a thousand years ago or something like, okay, maybe, but just the ring of the fisherman, it's not like, yeah, like one of the Royal, the crown jewels or something. And we, you know, with that. Yeah. If, if the captured priest guy was like, this is the most important thing, like, you know, like more than his life, you know, like maybe mm, it should be yeah. something a little more important than, you know, a Pope ring. <laughs> yeah. It's just like a signet ring. So it's not even like this has the power of uh, healing or something. It's Plus just, two against you know, skeletons or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, they didn't, couldn't sign your name back in the middle ages or something. Mm. Um. Uh, where else? We've got. Uh, yeah, I don't know the the if, if Mark has been blackballed. That's uh, perhaps will will continue further. I mean, if 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 you're making up our own story a little bit, like it would make sense because I think you know his crew. Yeah, it seemed like in earlier issues, Treetop was kind of like running the contracts, right? So like he'd set things up for them. So it would kind of make sense if he had to kind of go out on his own now and like, you know, you know, people know yeah, that yeah. he kind of screwed, maybe don't know the whole story, but know that he screwed over Treetop kind of thing and then aren't willing to give him work. But I mean, we don't really get any of that. That's I'm just kind of filling in the blanks myself. Yeah, I mean, for a story that's not very in detailed, I mean, like I said, the stuff at home with probably Priestess is pretty sketchy, and it's just sort of, um, so yeah, they move past several questions to just kind of get into the action, which is okay, action, yeah. I'd say. But like every character, none of the characters get any kind of personality developed or like reason to care about them. Yeah, Father Kevin is just such a, a blank slate. He ends as he begins. Just like I say, if if I'd have given him the it, you know Irish accent, that would have been the most interesting part thing about him. I can well, he has a knife that he likes. Mark broke it and threw it away. Did. 
Uh, now he's he's ruined for life. Um, yeah, Lebanon's a good sort of playground for Mark Hazard Mark. I mean, the place was a civil war for a couple decades there, and it's still not super um, accessible. But um, it, it, at the end, it, I did like that Mark had sort of figured out that, like, you know, the story behind the mission, which is something he did in the first yeah, few issues. He's got a uh, good sense of when he's working for an honest person and when he's working for someone who's uh, not that great. So I liked a bit yeah. of that callback. Yeah, that was nice, though. I wish there was something more to it, you know, like, hey, like, hey they had some papers, right? <laughs> and they're just laying there. And like, it kind of makes sense, I guess. Like, it must have been like communications from the, Cestus Dei to the Lebanese group, you know, kind of detailing things, but yeah, I don't know. Just feels like it was there. Mm. It needed to be there a little bit. So overall, I don't know. I was, uh, it's there, you know, it's got some decent qualities and I don't really, dislike it so it doesn't really you know push forward very far but uh, i'll be feel generous in giving it a b minus oh okay that's a little generous <laughs> yeah i, I think it, it gets a little better uh with multiple reads because because i had a lot of trouble on the first read through just kind of like following what was going on panel to panel it just seemed like there's a lot of like wasted panels and like the actual sequential storytelling like what makes it a comic book is kind of weak you know like even the action is like panel of shooting somebody like okay was this guy a threat like was he did he have the drop on him like it's just it's just a bunch of random stuff kind of stitched together but uh so yeah i i, I best i can give it as a c um it's okay um it, it tells a little bit of a story you know i i've been uh hold up watching a lot of Netflix and I think I got time for this, but um, Cobra Kai on Netflix basically tells the story of like Johnny, the high school goon. And like, you know, he's estranged from his family. He's trying to get by and like, he doesn't relate to the world. Well, like does not use the internet kind of stuff. And like, like his life skills don't match up with the real world. And like, I feel like that's what Mark Hazard should be. And that's kind of what it was, but it isn't anymore. And I miss it. <laughs> mm. Now yeah. he just does stuff and shoots people and comes back and thinks about what he's done. And so Oddly, actually the kill count, I only got like one on this for Mark himself. I was going to do one for father Kevin who killed like a dozen people, but so yeah. Mark was always sort of, I don't know, just knocking them down or something. But you're right. It's, it's missed opportunity, <sighs> missed opportunity. All right. That's enough about Mark Hazard Mark for this time. Let's take a quick break and come back with some Kickers Inc. back with some kickers ink 
Fun fact. Hey. We didn't really take a break, but it'll <laughs> sound like we did for the podcast. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Kickers Inc. number eight. Um, so same cover date, June 87, came out March 3rd, 87. Um, so a little late for the Super Bowl, which is usually the beginning of February, I guess. But the new U Super Bowl could have been at any time, I suppose. Um, real interesting cover here for Kickers Inc. 8. It, it, it's definitely a bit detached from uh, what's going on in the story. But <laughs> basically, we have someone in a football helmet maybe Smythe. i'm not sure number kind of adds up it doesn't really look like him um the helmet's smashed and cracked the the face mask is broken the guy's like sweating and looking like he's terrified like the werewolves after him uh and then you see kind of like uh in the reflection off the helmet like some other players coming at him so it's like okay <laughs> terrifying football stuff happening yeah, the uh, colors are aren't quite what we get inside. So, yeah, he's got kind of a blue and orange, which is not New York Smashers. So, yeah, but the colors have been off on a lot of these covers for for things. So it's hard to to say what the intent was for this kind of thing. But anyway, we open the book. We get some ad for M and M's, and then our splash page, all or nothing. Um, so when we left off, um, Jack Magnaconti is kind of grappling with his powers is kind of hit ahead, right? So he played a game where they won, but, you know, accidentally kind of hits a few guys too strong and, you know, hurt someone, maybe crippled them for a while, or at least a very serious injury. Uh, they had a run in with uh, circus goons, which were a lot of fun, but, uh, in doing so, like they unleashed this white lion against Suicide Smythe and Jack kind of clotheslined it to save Suicide, but killed the lion kind of like and felt bad about it. Uh, kind of two examples of not knowing your own strength thing. Um, and then he kind of walked off and showed up at the league office as if he was going to kind of turn himself in. So but that's where we're left off here now. Um, so, yeah. You get the back end of some buzz cut, cut lab coat science guy uh, with a needle. Uh, <laughs> is he injecting them or is he taking a blood sample here? Um, but anyway, ready word when you are, Mr. Magnaconti. I have all the poison we need. <laughs> this guy really likes to pose with a syringe too. That's what he <laughs> finds later on. So I don't know what kind of medical school this guy went to, but... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so uh, same writing team from the last couple issues, uh, Terry Cavanaugh and Ron Altaville during the script. Uh, we've got Larry Alexander and Tony DeZuniga, uh, pencils and inks. Um, so a relatively consistent team. <clears throat> but yeah, so uh, we get a little bit of recap of kind of the things I've covered, but uh, Jack's there to, to get the blood test. Um, and, you know, he talks about it later in the issue and like his cover is kind of like these super vitamins that his brother was given him. So he, so he never really mentions the, you know, the, the buzzing treatment that he actually received. And of course, Magna Conti doesn't really know anything about the white event and hasn't made that connection either. Um, but to begin with, 
you know, the needle breaks on Jack's arm. Well, okay, yeah, he's bulletproof. <laughs> um, but supposedly, you know, he's found some workaround for that, that um, brick wall kind of helped him with and maybe kind of rubbing his arm and kind of softening it up somehow, uh, you know, to get the shot. Um, again, I, I think the writers kind of have some fun with Jack because as he's getting the shot, he's like, ouch, ouch, ouch in his head. <laughs> so doesn't like the needles. Um, and then again, this doctor's kind of a funny weirdo. He's like, ah, much better. Although your skin seems extremely leathery, Mr. Magnaconti. Can't wait to see the results of your urine sample. <laughs> okay. This guy really loves urine samples and injecting people. <laughs> hey, dude. Yeah, this is, uh, doctor is almost like the one from the gnome um, over in Night Mask. Yeah. Udo oh, Dr. Brennan isn't, doesn't have like weird creepy mechanical bits, I guess, like the gnome did. But but yeah, the his doctor buddies were, one of them was kind of okay. The other one just liked to have unregulated experiments, right? Was that it? Something I am, yeah. I haven't seen those guys in Night Mask in a while. <sighs> well, anyway, so we... Oh, go ahead. I'm no, sorry, no. There you go. So we, we cut to... Uh, the rest of the kickers filming, uh, or at least a bunch of them filming a TV commercial and Brick Wall's kind of struggling through his lines uh, until they send uh, Dasher in, which why didn't they start with Dasher in the first place? Uh, but of course, as he starts delivering his lines to kind of promote Kickers Inc. and maybe some kind of snack food or something, but uh, suicide is always messing with him. So he starts like tickling him from behind. <laughs> Pickle fight <laughs> uh, and screwing him up um and then as he kind of runs off you can't catch me <laughs> gingerbread suicide smith man um then uh dasher chucks the ball at him and kind of causes him to stumble over it and then he falls in front of a bunch of like make-a-wish kids basically <laughs> he's like not in front of Oh, the kids and so he's trying to play it off but uh basically we've got a group of a group of kids who are you know special to come and watch the super bowl i suppose um but yeah so after that um we get a little clip of um the wreckers so the austin wreckers are the other team that made it to the super bowl in previous issues they uh had ugly mac thornton who was an awful maybe <laughs> uh, stand-in for an older football player who like intentionally hurt people, uh, and he injured and paralyzed Dawkins, their rookie wide receiver, until uh, Jack Magnaconti had like a revenge game against him where he basically just beat the crap out of him until he went crying home and <laughs> was so afraid of Jack that he never played football again. Uh, which I, I guess didn't go over well with the rest of the Austin Wreckers. <laughs> I just wanted to point out what the they asked the kids where they're where they're from, and uh, I think some of them are just you know normal places around the New York area. But one of them says Riverdale. I was wondering if that was a shout out to Archie Comics. Is there a real? There's got to be a real Riverdale though, right? I suppose, but yeah, yeah. I'm from Dawson's Creek. <laughs> And see if anybody gets that reference. <laughs> it's the only the young people. Yeah, the <laughs> creep that bullied Mac out of the league. It's a fun twist on the what exact actually happened there, I guess, right? Yeah. No true, no true. Um, 
So, uh, so Jack walks up. Uh, so he, kind of, him, and Darlene kind of show up uh, at the end of the commercial kind of scene. Uh, he notices one of the kids is Sally from the airplane hijacking, who was like his biggest fan, and also maybe saw him get shot <laughs> and the bullet bounce off. And he's like, <clears throat> "Hey, is that Sally over there? I haven't seen her since the hijacking. Hey, Sally, Sally, what is she deaf or something?" <laughs> Well, yes, she is. Okay. <laughs> That's what? kind of out of nowhere, but. It, should I have gone back to that book to see if there was anything about her being deaf in there? Because I just assumed there wasn't. But... Yeah, I, I didn't go back either, but I assumed there wasn't either. But it's the same writing team. So, yeah. Sally's gone deaf in the last two months. And that's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. But yeah, so like there's a funny panel like, again you know the writers may kind of have some fun with jack a little bit where you know as a matter of fact she is deaf she needs to be able to read your lips and he kind of has a, a slack jaw and a gulp <laughs> it's funny <laughs> it is a nice expression uh, yeah so they're representatives of the charity of a charity so they're donating some money uh you know yada 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 uh Jack and Darlene go to drive off and he kind of comes out because he didn't tell Darlene what he was going to do. Like he didn't let her know that he was going to kind of turn himself into the football authorities for testing. Um, so, you know, he set up a point with their doctor and she's like, you what? <laughs> and there's a funny scene where she, she like hammers the brakes and they both do like the Seinfeld stop short move, like <laughs> the arm out. So the person doesn't lunge forward. <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, but she's pissed at him basically um <clears throat> and this ends up being kind of a running theme of the book um he's like i thought that's what you wanted me to do you're talking to me how i keep losing control and blah 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 and it's like but that's my point you're like you you should we should talk about it you know we we should think about what to do don't go running off to the football commission uh, they're arguing in public they're celebrities uh, there's a bunch of people around kind of like gawking at them and making little comments. Uh, Someone filming for TMZ or something. Yeah. Just ignore them, honey hips. <laughs> ignore who? Sweet knees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can do voices too. <laughs> uh, not to your level though. <laughs> We've got to up our game on this podcast. If we, we need do. more voices. We need to hire some voice actors. Do we have a budget? No. <laughs> don't want to up it that much. <laughs> You're out of a job, Woodcock. Hit the showers. <laughs> Come on, coach. I don't know. <laughs> Your non-union Mexican, Mexican uh, equivalent. <laughs> Simpson reference. Um, but yeah, so you know, she's on him about just kind of going off and not thinking. He's kind of frustrated that you know he thinks he's doing the right thing. Uh, so they're arguing, um, you know, again, uh, angry because you aren't, you know, she says, I'm angry because you aren't making the decision about whether or not to play football yourself. You just ran to the nearest authority figures and dumped it in their laps, right? So it's just feel like he's kind of like pawning it off on them because he hasn't been able to kind of decide for himself. And so she's about, she about calls him a wimp. And he's like, wimp, and kind of smashes the table. But that kind of brings everything to a head and kind of shocks everybody out of the argument uh, as she gets showered with desk parts or lamp bits or something. Yeah, I guess it's a lamp. 
Um, you know, so she's kind of shaken and walks off and, and Jack's thinking to himself, she's scared of me and I don't blame her. So am I. <laughs> oh man, poor Jack. He doesn't have an easy time of it. So maybe you shouldn't smash the lamp. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's not only like out of control on the field and in the, the last couple of issues, starting to worry that he's like out of control all the time, but he's also like doesn't feel things anymore. And so it's becoming more of a danger to the people around her, around him. And she's the one who's around him the most. So yeah and constantly arguing with him too yeah so yeah it, it's I'm, I'm curious of like what they're going for here like if he's just kind of a normal guy and he's in a stressful situation kind of dealing with this power situation and so like when you get emotional then it's kind of like normally you might get mad but you're not gonna like kick a car down the street right where which he, which he's able to do so, like, if you kind of like bang your fist on the table, maybe no big deal. If you smash the table, yeah, and you look even more angry, kind of thing. So, so yeah, like, whoa, dude, don't hulk out on me. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's, it's interesting the way they're going for it, but um, you know, from the argument and Jack's sad-looking face, he looks totally miserable. Um, so, but you've had an argue, a non-superpowered argument with your spouse, and you can probably relate to these things. Um, but yeah, then we cut to the other team. So we get a lot of them kind of practicing their, their plays, um, which are, you know, semi-realistic, I guess. Uh, I think in interviews, the writers talked about how they didn't know anything about football. So they probably did some research and kind of things, but you know, run a 22 outside split, you know, don't jump if you don't have to jump, but basically they're practicing these plays. You know, they're feeling good. Everything's going well. They're like, you know, if we keep this up, you know, we'll be the champions of the world. And they got a fun panel where the team's kind of like, right, right, focused, angry. <laughs> so, so this is uh, Coach Burns, who uh, it's not quite as uh, colorful as Coach Kirby, but seems kind of professional, or at least more so than we, the records that we saw in the previous um issue like these guys are just trying to win a game they're not like a bunch of thugs trying to i don't know hurt other players i guess so not anymore i guess (laughs) but i mean this was the team that had the thug that was trying to hurt other players and that was their yeah so if it was just the one guy maybe it seemed like they were they they suggested these these, all these guys were kind of dirty but no yeah so so we cut to the Smashers practice as well. I got some good numbers here to fill out my uh, New York Smashers roster and a couple names. Uh, though I think sometimes they just use random numbers. <laughs> Nobody. I, I, I've been trying to keep like lists of like the characters that appear, and the last couple of issues of Kickers, I just have so many players. Yeah, it just becomes like unwieldy. They'll just sort of mention so and so and. Okay, but anyway, yeah, there's kind of like a regular crew besides like the the main kickers characters, the kickers ink people, but um, yeah, it gets a little mixed up. Um, but yeah, so you know the the smashers with Jack practicing kind of run a play where 
suicide blocks and Dasher catches a long pass, right? So this, the Wrecker is special, though, though really it's it's a pretty normal looking play where the quarterback rolls out and throws a pass. Uh, but whatever, you call it something cool and that's all it's right. It's the Wrecker's whammy, Jack. <laughs> no, the whammy was from the other one. <laughs> anyway, uh, but Jack gets called into the owner's office, right? So Christine Chase, our owner who we ran into before. So uh, coaches, follow me. The owner wants to see you in my office. No, coming coach. <laughs> and hey, look, an ad for thrashing. <laughs> well, there's, that's the bottom of that page is a little, I mean, a couple of things. One, they kind of see the, the kids see uh, Jack being storming off or dragged off. And uh, they just joke about coach kirby and um susie is still like jack and there's all these little hearts around her it in the balloon yeah jack can't be in trouble he's a hero and then uh this like last panel where you've got the sign smash the wreckers and the like a mystery guy there because i don't know you see that sign again later i don't know yeah, and we see the guy later. Yeah, so it's good that you pointed him out. Yeah, because he doesn't, he's probably going to play a role, though perhaps not quite much yet. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so um, coach, coach has some fun rants here. Um, but basically, um, the owner found out that the football league, you know, is testing Jack. And again, he didn't tell the team or anything like that. He didn't tell his coach that they were going to do these tests. Um, you know, he makes his excuse about the mega vitamins. And I, I, and I love this as a character piece for Steve Magnaconti too, is like those things I had them tested years ago. Hate to tell you this, Jack, but they're ineffective by themselves <laughs> at least. So scammy, nothing vitamins, of course, of course, sports power plus would be selling those. <laughs> My brother's been giving them to me since college. That's why I have superpowers now. Check those. Uh, those are from the placebo company. Um, <laughs> That's totally like the kind of thing that some influencer now would would absolutely sell, and like people would buy. Like, get these mega vitamins filled with mega molecules. <laughs> Indeed, white event special sale. <laughs> Careful if you feel a buzzing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so uh, the rant is great so uh coach kirby is like why now jack what if something registers and you're banned from play right before the super bowl how could you do this to your friends jack your teammates your team or for me or me for that matter <laughs> what is your sense of responsibility to the owner to football to the flag <laughs> The coach, the owner is kind of thinking to herself with a disgusted face, like, oh, he's on a roll now, but where's your responsibility to America, Jack? <laughs> Jack's thinking to himself, the only thing he forgot was not to mention those handicapped kids who worship the ground you walk on. You want to let them down, Jack? You want to let yourself down? <laughs> so classic Coach Kirby. Oh, man. He's, Jack has disappointed the flag. Flag now sad. <laughs> there is a flag in the office, is the interesting thing. Like, right <laughs> it's behind. It's totally a flag. <laughs> uh, 
so so apparently then they got to go and see the doctor uh dr creepy syringe or i mean dr brennan brennan <laughs> yes uh, but yeah, so they go back on the field and the backup quarterback is, is taking Jack's spot as he's, you know, going through the, you know, the, <laughs> the rant from the coach and the disappointed owner. Uh, and he runs the same play that the Smashers special, uh, but he misses it like crazy. So, you know, throws it way over Dasher's head. Uh, you know, all of his passes are kind of missing. So mm, outlook not so good if the backup quarterback uh, Bobby Rocket Baker has to actually play um, as far as things go. <clears throat> but yeah, so, you know, a little bit of conversation from the team. You know, they go back to the doctor. Uh, and apparently, so they, they were able to detect something and they call that he has this phenomenal pseudo steroid levels that he registered and they want to run another test. So this is kind of the moment then. So, the coach doesn't want him to take the test. The owner doesn't want him to take the test. Um, and it sounds like the doctor kind of like weakens a little bit. It's like, all right, well, you know, we're not going to require this right now, but it's going to have to happen. So they kind of left the door open for him to play in the Super Bowl, but then he's going to get tested at some point. Um, you know, we're not insisting on tests now, but they will have to be done sooner or later. And if the sense of fair play that originally motivated Mr. Magnaconti still exists. Why not get it over with right now? Besides, it's a matter of pure personal curiosity to me, just like your urine samples. <laughs> okay, I added the urine samples line, but I'm totally sure that's what he was thinking. <laughs> You're a weirdo, Brennan. He's got a whole bunch of jars in his office. <laughs> so we have the... Uh... Also, the appearance of Ugly Mac Thornton, late of the Austin Wreckers. Yeah, right. So that's that's a part in the middle there. You know, earlier is like you know there might be even more serious consequences if what Mac Thornton is true said is true, and he is like there, like he shows up as like a surprise witness or something. Um, but he's great because he's in a suit and he just looks terrified. He's like, uh, I was afraid to lie. I'm sorry, Magna Conti. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> And <clears throat> Jack's like, all right, I'm, I've had my fill of tests. Talk to me after the Super Bowl. So he kind of heads out, slams the door, and, and Thornton's like terrified from the door slamming. He's like, did I say I was sorry yet? <laughs> so total, total personality shift there, I guess. <laughs> Poor Mac. Yeah. Though we shouldn't feel bad for him. He paralyzed the guy, right? Yeah, I don't know how to feel with, with him because he, yeah, he was... Uh kind of a bully but then jack just bullied him harder than he could so okay um yeah i i mean uh yeah his his old teammates were right to like say that he chased him out of the league or whatever so having a career is important to you bullied mac out of the league yeah, that's that's no good. Yeah, Thornton had it coming. I don't feel bad for him. Um, <clears throat> so a lot going on. You know, we cut back to Darlene, and she's been basically like the manager and running the show at Kickers Inc. You know, so in charge of commercials, trying to deal with whatever Jack's up to, right? So she's 
she's the one that always has to kind of like pull everything together and you know deal with all the problems as far she as she sets off go. the uh, kicker's alarm to to gather everyone together for right. a mission i guess sends them on missions and such um but yeah so you know she's talking to like a tv guy who's like well we couldn't find mr magnificent maybe you'll do like, uh, i don't think so <laughs> not with that comment um, um but yeah so everybody's wondering where jack went right last we knew he was you know getting ready to play the super bowl um but she goes back to you know their hotel like hotel room i guess and he's left a note so oof darlene i took your words to heart as i eventually always do and i made a decision until i get both myself and my edge under control you'll always be in danger around me i love you too much for that goodbye for now <laughs> hello jack <laughs> um, so she, she gives him the no and you know swipes open the uh, curtain for the closet all his stuff's gone you know he's done it again gone off half cocked without thinking that's why he needs me where will he go what will he do what will i do <laughs> oh well, it's still the smashed uh, table from <laughs> yeah it looks like split in half like a karate competition kind of thing you got a maid in here oof so problems abound um so cut to January 25, Smasher's locker room, half hour before the Super Bowl, right? So they're not quite ex- not quite expecting any trouble at this point, you know, kind of still assuming like in previous games that Jack's just kind of swoop back in and come and play uh, maybe at the last minute, uh, not quite panicked, um, but he's not there. Um, so the team gathers, you know, the coach gives him kind of the rah-rah speech of don't blow it. Uh, there's a funny panel because Suicide came in with like a full-on green suit. The coach yells through the door, like, line up, guys. And then all of a sudden, Suicide's back in his football uniform, like fully dressed. And Dasher's thinking, how did he change his clothes so fast? So, I'm guessing they did the art and then noticed that and then added that little line of dialogue. But it was fun. <laughs> it's a good question. <clears throat> I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, but I like that. It was a nice little touch. Um, so then sooner than anyone expects the Super Bowl, uh, Pasadena, California, Super Bowl 21. Wow. Uh, I, I should have went back and looked and s- seen how that line lines up with like 80, the 87 NFL Super Bowl, but I'm not really sure. Um, so what are we up to now? 56. If you know, I'm impressed. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. So back to football action. So, um, you know, we basically joined the game a couple minutes in. Uh, Nobody's scored yet, but the Wreckers have the ball. Um, You know, the Smashers on defense and basically the the Wreckers quarterback throws a long pass, uh, makes it halfway down the field, and then, you know, gives a handoff to Maloney uh, up the middle. And he basically just runs through the rest of the team, you know, scores a touchdown. So the opening of the game, not going so well so far. First quarter, record seven, smasher zero. Uh, there's a break in the action. So the commercial, and they kind of cut to Sally in the stands, kind of looking concerned. Um, and she watches the game. I guess she can't hear what's going on. 
but you can see it anyway. I think I think all our fans are happy to have you back doing the play-by-play for the Super Bowl. Uh, this year, so. <laughs> I try not to disappoint too much. Man throws ball it's, to other man. It's like you're there. He sits. Uh, he paints a picture with his words. I, I can't explain it. Um, yeah, the the yeah, it's just straight up action. Um, yeah, so we get a, a good good bit of football. Um, so we cut to later in the first half. The Smashers have the ball. Um, you know, they try and run a play, but the backup quarterback gets sacked, um, and they get to kick a field goal. So uh, I this adds the the uh, New York Smashers kicker Pudlinski to my roster because I had that name, but I didn't know what he did or what his position was. So so he kicks a long field goal. Uh, 52 yards is pretty long. Um, and so that's seven to three. And there's only a few seconds left before halftime. And, and usually like the play it safe, <laughs> play it safe move there would have been to, you know, just maybe run the ball and let the time go out. So you don't screw something up and give the other team a chance to score. Uh, but their coach is the bomb, throw the bomb to Catone on the first play. And so basically, you know, a couple seconds left, one pass, you know, throw a huge bomb, you know, score on one play, and all of a sudden it's um, not looking good. So now all of a sudden it's 14-3, and Austin uh, is beating New York on the way to the headlines. And, you know, the announcers are saying, where is Mr. Magnificent? And Coach Kirby's breaking his headset on the sideline. Uh, hey, you're killing me over here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but up in the stands, then we have Jack himself, right? So uh, not one to not torture himself. He goes to the game. <laughs> even I'm sure it's, it's not- easy to get tickets to the Super Bowl at the last minute, just off the street or something. <laughs> well, it looks like he stole a seat from one of those disabled kids because <laughs> he's sitting <laughs> sitting with them. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's right behind him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, his disguise consists entirely of dark glasses. Yeah. Right, for like a, a handsome guy in presumably like his mid twenties or something with bone white hair, like definitely wouldn't stand out to anybody. Put on a baseball cap, man. Like you're not Clark Kent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, so yeah. This has got to be the hardest thing I've ever done. Every instinct I have is screaming for me to get down on that field, but I can't take the chance of crippling someone. I knew it a week ago when I refused to take the commission's test. I just had to make this decision myself. Right. And so then, then we get a little side eye from random guy who was uh, standing, you, you had pointed out, was standing by the sign, uh, who's got Smokes brand cigarettes, which I love, <laughs> a pack of Smokes. Um, but we see him getting them out of his coat and he's also has a gun, right? So in my head, I'm thinking police detective that was on his case from the airplane hijacking, right? Because there's these guys who would kind of like maybe yeah, piece was, together. Yeah, yeah. Gray and Templar. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, police or private detective. <laughs> yeah, I, I but uh commissioner detective. Anyway, yeah, someone, yeah. yeah. So, so he's sitting there in the stands. At least no one seems to have recognized me. <laughs> There's a guy sitting right behind him. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. 
Sorry, man. I guess you've been recognized. Uh, so halftime, um, the Smashers kick off. Uh, and then they get lucky. So uh, what's interesting is in the beginning, there's a quick line of like the Austin Wreckers fumbled the opening kickoff, right, which is a huge deal, uh, but they managed to recover it. And this time, like the ball hits the guy right in the chest again, and he fumbles it. Um, and, you know, again, realistic football action, like they call it that uh, the Wreckers recovered it. But then they go back and spend 45 minutes and look at the replay and the coaches are yelling. And then they say, oh, well, no, actually, the New York Smashers got the ball. So a nice break for New York. Um, they get the ball, uh, a quick handoff to suicide. They only need to go like three yards, scores a touchdown, and then they're kind of back into it. So, you know, 14-10, New York Smashers have a chance. Yeah, I I like the uh, Coach Burns at the end. Okay, boys, looks like we have to beat New York and the officials. <laughs> That's very football, yeah. <laughs> oh, everyone's trying to come in at me. Everyone's against us. We'll beat them all. Okay. I think every NFL team's fan base thinks that the refs are biased against them. The Raiders might be right, but in general, like every team <laughs> thinks that same way, which is funny. Some kind of like cognitive bias kind of thing there. Uh, yeah, again, there's all like nice little touches in the comic. Like, you know, you see the kids cheering when the Smashers scored their touchdown. You know, yippee and eat him up. <laughs> That's an odd chant for a game, but you know, sponsored by Chicken McNuggets or something. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's really, uh, you know, it switches around a lot between the action on the field, the uh, player's reaction, the kid's reaction, the coaches, kind of their individual, touch, you know, a little personality you get from them. So yeah, it moves around a lot, actually, for a football Yeah, game. Yeah, a good bit of detail. So like, I'm, I'm skipping over a lot of the sort of the commentary and the, conversation there's actually quite a bit of talking and such but um late in the fourth quarter uh the announcer uh talks about they re got a press release from smashers public relations office during the super bowl uh that magna conti's opted to not play which his contract allows so he's still still a player uh, he's allowed to just not play on the super bowl um so I guess the fans would know that, but perhaps the, the team's not hearing those kind of announcements. Um, but then this is it, right? So the Smashers have the ball, 14-10. So they, if they score a touchdown, they go up. Uh, coach is calling the Wreckers special, right? So roll out pass and a bomb to Dasher, right? So what are you, you going to do? Of course, you're going to throw it to Dasher. We don't even know who the other wide receiver is because uh, he got crippled and I don't know who his replacement is. So... Um, so he's, they run. Uh, okay, he's not on the kicker's ink, so you know, yeah, <laughs> there's just some sad looking guy on the other side <laughs> of the field, like maybe they'll throw it to me this time. <laughs> I, I joined their kicker's thing too. If they let me, no one ever asked. <laughs> uh, so Baker steps back, it's a fake draw to Collins. You know, also being blocked by Collins. There's two Collinses. Uh, I'm starting <laughs> to get to know the numbers. So he rolls out. Smythe blocks. So the other running back blocks. There's a bomb to Dasher. 
but he, he's been overthrowing every pass up until this point in practice. Uh, but this time he throws an interception. So he underthrows the ball. It goes right to the other team and they run it all the way back for a touchdown. So oof, <laughs> touchdown, touchdown, 21-10. The Wreckers have clinched it, right? Too, that's too much for them to overcome at this point. Uh, the game is over. Um, uh, oh, shoot. What's the little girl's name? Susie. Susie, yeah. Yeah, she's got, she's thinking in her head, Mr. Magnificent, and all the little hearts around his name are now broken hearts. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, it, that would be a tough place to put your team in. So, usually the quarterback practices a lot. They, they learn all the plays, that kind of thing. You, know, you got two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. The backup guy doesn't usually practice that much. So, you know, they're not as game ready. Like they don't know all the plays. They, don't have, they haven't practiced at all. So, you know, it would be a big ask. It, it, it would be pretty unlikely for them to be able to win. Um, but <laughs> there, there's a great moment in the end here. So the team's all sad in the uh, locker room. A uh, bunch of naked dudes showering and also little kids getting <laughs> footballs and jerseys and such. Um, the coach is screaming at everybody. Uh, Smite, you freaking stunk at Baker, you fell, uh, all sorts of cursing. Uh, he says, Monahan, you played like a bleep. Hunter, you are bleeping pathetic. Uh, Monahan was traded. <laughs> so, oh, no. So, like, rather than. He was depending on Monahan and they traded him and he's like, oh, man. So like, my record special didn't work at all. Yeah, he was one of the guys they said they traded for Baker, like the backup quarterback. Uh, so I, I like the idea rather than that, you know, the editors forgot that the player wasn't on the team, that the coach forgot. And he was just yelling at a guy that wasn't even there because <laughs> it was like it was his fault. <laughs> so I'm going with that because I think that's hilarious. <laughs> that is good. Yes. Uh, so it's like, yeah, you guys have no one to blame but yourselves. You had a freaking chance to be oh oh sorry darlene <laughs> so he stops cursing when darlene shows up into the office um has anyone seen jack i'd hope he'd be in here but when he didn't play bleeping mr magnificent <laughs> bleep mr magnificent <laughs> and then to the last page we we do have jack so he's kind of uh walking in the uh, it looks like he's leaving kind of outside of the locker room. So like he was listening in, you know, they'll never understand. I hope Darlene knows how I feel at least. Maybe I should go to her, talk to her before I, no, I'm making my own decisions now. She taught me that. It's like, no, I'm pretty sure she taught you like to talk it over with her first <laughs> and then make your own decisions. But sorry, whoops. <laughs> uh, says, mm -hmm. Okay, Dr. Brennan, time to close this chapter. So he, walks somewhere to where dr brennan is which apparently looks like a high school biology lab <laughs> it's got like the, the the skeleton model and like one of those dissection trays that you'd use for the frogs yeah. <laughs> and of course dr brennan is absolutely ready with his urine jar and his <laughs> needle that he's always squirting liquids out of and he's totally shadowed like a creep <laughs> So oh. I, I don't know if it's intentional, but I love how terrifying and weird this uh, Dr. Brennan is. Jack, we want you out of the sports comic and into more of a horror comic. 
We'll team you up with Dr. Brennan, who is, I don't know, like Nosferatu mixed with <laughs> something. Oh, it's like, uh, what was it? There was a, that weird B horror movie, like Reanimator. Herbert like, West Reanimator, yeah. Yeah, that like creepy guy. <laughs> it's like, is it, I mean, Jack opens the door. I mean, this is the last panel. Um, you know, and the light's pouring in. So basically this guy's sitting in the dark with a needle in his hand, just waiting for someone to show up. <laughs> mm, yeah. It's a, and uh, I swear he basically he's got he's got what looks like a jar of urine there. It's it's ominous, whatever that the the intention was. It uh, looks like yeah. Disturbing <laughs> as well as ominous. I don't know. Yeah, so I love it, but it is a little a little unusual. <laughs> Uh, and that's it. That's that's all we get. So the, the Super Bowl is over. The football games might be done. Uh, the football career may be ended here. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, I don't know if we'll see Coach Kirby again after this. So, uh, if so, well, he was a fun character. <laughs> I don't I'll miss that. He went out with a bang, like. Why are you disappointing out top to bottom? Everybody out talking about disappointing the flag and the thinking, why aren't you thinking of the children? (laughs) All that was good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This book has a lot of great characters. Uh, Yeah. It's uh, I mean, they're, they're sort of, yeah, they're very individual. I mean, the, compared to like the troubleshooters it, where it took forever to kind of get a handle on their personalities for what here, everyone has a very sort of uh, big, bold one. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I just heard from our research department, apparently Super Bowl 21 was on January 25th, 1987. Oh, okay. Giants, de- Giants defeated the Broncos 39 to 20. Huh. Interesting. So they took this, correct date from the nfl super bowl even though in the new universe there is also the nfl yeah the let me point out that the last super bowl was in issue one so it's only eight months sort of i don't know you're kind of Mm. you're a little have to be a little elastic because they'd gone through the whole season um since the white event and then a super bowl in that first issue or something yeah, that's true. Yeah, because they kind of montaged that as well, though, too, like this whole kind of finishing season thing. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't mind that. Like, I don't feel like we got to be crazy nitpicky with the date stuff. But yeah, they also didn't if they hadn't mentioned about- if they hadn't mentioned like the Pittsburgh Steelers and you know having like real NFL and star brand, then like this could have just been our football league. But then it's not our world, so yeah. I'm, if we never get a Pittsburgh team name, I'm really going to be uh, a, a, the gold diggers. I don't know. <laughs> I like that. It doesn't make much sense, but okay. Yeah, because we got Austin Records, New York Smashers. There's Pittsburgh, which we never got a name for. There's Denver, we never got a name for. The Washington Centurions, the Los Angeles Runners, and the Chicago Comets. I'd call the Comets the worst of that bunch. But yeah, that's so we only have seven teams that we know of. There's got to be at least one more. Yeah. How many teams are in the NFL? 
32. Um, yeah, the kids, I don't know why Susie is deaf all of a sudden. Like, I don't know. It doesn't seem to add to the story or make any real sense, but I guess that maybe it's just a way for them to, to stick her into the group of kids. Like if they came up with the idea of having like the disabled kids come to the Super Bowl and some having some interactions and like, Oh, okay. Well, what if Susie's deaf and then we can put her in there too. Okay. Yeah. It's, she's like, uh... she's like daredevil deaf though. Like, yeah, you know, she had no problem understanding everything going on in the airplane. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's uh fine you know, it, it, you know having callbacks to previous uh ish appearances of characters it gives you a nice sense of continuity so what would have been great is if we had like shots of the stands and like all of the other characters are are that show up there you know you know like evil chemistry professor and, yeah. fist yeah. yeah that would be much better maybe fist is watching at home or something damn i hate these guys why are they always Ah, they're losing finally. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Or he had like had some elaborate trap for Jack in the locker room, but since he didn't show up, it foiled him and he <laughs> accidentally. He will crippled. open his door to his locker and then kaboom! Goodbye, smashers. Of course, Any knowing... guy finds it three weeks later. And... <laughs> knowing the fist, they would have just left an angry note like, you're gonna play bad today, Magna Conti. <laughs> Ooh. It's like, oh, oh well, okay. our connections to sneak into the Super Bowl. And that's the best we could come up with. <sighs> so, <sighs> yes. Okay. Oh, I was just thinking while we were talking, the um, like throwing the Super Bowl by not appearing in it would have been great for his brother, Steve, who was always betting on games. <laughs> so it's like, this was his long game to make uh, Jack so strong that he would eventually give up at the last moment and not play a game. Steve's like faked his own death and is somewhere got a million dollars riding against uh, if the records are going to beat the spread or something. We can only dream. <laughs> <laughs> So that, that would be my question for you, though, right? I mean, sort of related, like he's kind of, he threw the Super Bowl by not showing up, right? He's, he's been kind of twisted around in his own head kind of thing. Like, you know, it's kind of hard to put yourself in his place, but I wonder, you know, would you play the Super Bowl at that rate? Like, you know, you're worried about um, hurting someone, but you're also like, letting everybody down by not playing like you could kind of go out one last time blades of glory win the game be extra careful and then quit like would you play or or would you run yeah i mean i'll be honest i didn't really like his his motivation didn't really strike a chord with me so yeah i didn't like the um just ditching out on it idea and i I don't know if it's what I would do, but I sort of expected him to show up like in the fourth quarter and be like, okay, I just do a couple of plays, get us back on the, on, you know, tie it up or something, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, he's really been cheating this whole time too. And like, you know, he's definitely 
gone through the journey of kind of like, you know, being excited about it and happy that he won and all that kind of thing to like finally kind of started starting to kind of question things and, and uh, feel some sort of guilt about his powers, which still, as far as we know, uh, still nobody knows about, but, but yeah, I, I kind of would have, you know, I wouldn't have blamed him to being a little bit selfish and kind of stucking it out one more time. Like you could have maybe practiced, you know, just with kickers to like make sure you can play and like play safe so that you're not running into anybody. So you're not hurting anybody. Like literally he could, he could stand there. Nobody could tackle him and he could just throw the ball. Right. They'd be kind of like running into a wall, but like he wouldn't necessarily hurt them if he's not like running full speed and, you know, running with the ball. He's just throwing it kind of thing. But yeah, I don't know. It, it makes yeah. it, it makes for a dramatic story. So I think the uh, all most of what I know about <laughs> football came from that Disney movie where there's a donkey playing like the field kick, the donkey football kicker or something. And it's like, Going out there, you show me in the rule book where a donkey can't be the field goal kicker. <laughs> ah, okay then. You know, I don't remember, but uh, yeah, I, I, is there something in the rule book that says you can't be invulnerable and super powered? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. It will yeah, be by I, next year. But usually, like, there's a list of banned substances and such. So, like. You know, whatever happened to him is so unusual. There's no way it would be on there. So, you know, it would be a scandal for sure. But it seems like, you know, it might not be the kind of thing where they like take away your win later on kind of deal. But it is yeah. totally cheating, though. So, but he, but he can't go back to like just being normal. So, like, you know, he, he'd, he'd probably rather be able to just play as a normal human and, and maybe still win because he's such a good player, but you know, he doesn't really have that choice anymore. Yeah. It's, you know, they, they don't know if this is going to stick around, but certainly it doesn't seem like his power level has gone down. And if anything, it might be growing like the DB sevens yeah. are definitely. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's not like, oh, this is going to finally wear off by next season. I'll just going to stick it out and keep a low profile for a while. But no, it's, I mean, like you say, he's, this is what he worked for his whole life and he gets there and then it's like too easy for him and it just becomes, you know, harder than just doing it in the first place. Yeah. Still, the lesson is cheaters never prosper. I suppose that's fair enough, too. Yeah, I suppose. Except for when they do. <laughs> I, I wish we had like something for next time here, but uh, next time, Jack Magnaconti and uh, lawyers versus lawyers. I don't know. Presumably, we'll get some follow up for who this mystery man who's been eyeballing him is so that's the thing it feels like <clears throat> second act of a three act thing like the last issue and this flow together pretty well there we're definitely missing not having a you know funny villain or something but the super bowl is a big deal so i can see that taking center stage for a whole issue sure yeah yeah it wasn't as strong as the last issue where i really enjoyed the 
um, the circus criminals. But but yeah, it, it wouldn't make sense to have a kicker's adventure, the Super Bowl, and the drug testing drama all together. That would be too much as far as that goes. But um, yeah, it was it was a good issue. I, I've I've really enjoyed this run from uh, uh, the writing team, the Kavanaugh Altaville. I think do a nice kicker's ink. Um, and I think the more I read this one, the more I like it. <laughs> it really kind of stood out later, like just how odd that doctor guy is. So been kind of making fun of the whole issue. Um, but yeah, all the, all the little moments and stuff. Like I, I would say A minus here. Hmm. I, I like this. I like this uh, run on kickers though. So I'll I'll give it a B plus. Um... I'm kind of like, yeah, this is, I mean, yeah, that I like these writers. I just feel like it's kind of, I'm not sure if like we're getting a resolution next time and this is just part of it, in which case it's fine that like, we don't know who the guy with the gun is and the, what happens with the medical exam and all that. Um, there's always this like fear of, you know, whoops, here we go so with something else and, Oh, that's true. Okay. I don't know. That's that's uh, perhaps you know off the uh, out of the scope of this discussion, as we say. But, yeah, I mean it's a big problem in comic books in general. Like you can have something going on that you really like, and then it gets canceled, right? Or a story you really like, and then you know you get a fill-in issue, or you know the artist changes, and it's all of a sudden it looks like pudding, right? It's just I remember there was tricky. A- a series that I didn't really, I wasn't reading, but I heard what happened to it was like the, the there was a the Great Ten or something in DC Comics know, ten years ago. It was like a Chinese superhero team. They were supposed to have ten issue miniseries, one issue with each, and like it didn't sell too well, so they like oh, you have to wrap it up early, and so they just canceled like one or two issues early, and like. I was like, why even bother at that point? You know, just let it read it, reach its natural death, and you know, move on. I don't know. Right. At least you know, squeeze out the last two issues, and then you have like a complete story for a collection or something, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, certainly in the age of the collection, that's you know, you're shooting yourself in the foot to not make it harder for you to do that. Um, yeah. Alrighty. News of the universe? Yes. <laughs> so we finally got universe news. And I think we talked uh, about a couple of the things that we saw in that last time. But, you know, the, I got to admit, the, the little um, um, bios from the um, production staff that they have here, you know, it's like a high school yearbook where they're kind of trying to be cute and funny. But at this point, half of these jobs don't even exist anymore, and you don't even know what they mean by the other half. So it would have been. You don't think they're doing paste ups anymore? I don't think so. I I mean, I would be happier if they just like gave a dull description of what their job is and what it looks like. You know, be much more informative for our future eyes. Yeah, I oh. guess they were just trying to be nice to like, you know, 
give a little shout out to the behind the scenes people but but yeah they don't really explain what they're doing they kind of makes it sound like we're supposed to already kind of know what these things are but anyway anyway question of the month what do you see as the essential difference between the marvel universe and the new universe i like that jim shooter has the shortest one (laughs) yeah it's funny he 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 just pops that right out let's just take turns right reading them sure i'll go shooter the characters in the new universe age in real time that's it okay (laughs) yeah that's not the most exciting uh tidbit uh ralph macchio dp7 editor the Marvel Universe is essentially a fantasy universe with a few realistic elements thrown in. The new universe is essentially a realistic universe with a few fantasy elements thrown in. I like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Nice succinct way of saying it. Bob Harris, Spitfire editor. The Marvel Universe became different from our own way back in prehistoric times, at least from the time Earth had its first extraterrestrial or extra-dimensional visitor. The new universe was exactly like our own up until last July when the white event occurred. Then things started getting a bit weird. Yeah. It's also true. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Going back to uh, like Marvel history or like you look at their Marvel saga where they try to. Yeah. Tie everything together. Yeah. It's nice because then like, yeah none of no burdensome continuity i guess right like you don't have to try and figure out like how this underground society has existed even though like you know (laughs) where were they when the world-threatening event number five happened kind of thing so i mean yeah it's like the the eternals and the deviants and the celestial and all these like you know having a, a million years of people fighting over the earth makes uh the current conflicts a little less explicable too yeah and even like the marvel cinematic like movie tv universe is starting to get bogged down in that stuff like with the eternals it's like where were you when thanos showed up I'm like uh <laughs> we've sat that one out <laughs> like okay that doesn't make any sense but that's the problem uh yeah so- lost civilizations was a big thing in uh, adventure fiction um in the, like the early half of the 20th century and it, like you know people would find lost cities in africa or south america i guess they you know they whatever all the tales of explorers got embellished and yeah you know, so then you had all these william or edgar rice burroughs stories with that kind of thing but yeah it doesn't really it's not really a modern story so it gets harder and harder to tell that in these days so Fair enough. Just let's let that trope go or keep it in the past. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Mike Higgins, Nightmask editor. The main difference to me is the new universe is new. Don't get me wrong. I love the Marvel universe. I grew up on it, but I've already been there. I'm very familiar with it. The new universe is like taking a vacation in a whole new world. Of course, it's like 36 years old, but if you haven't read it yet, it's brand new. <laughs> it's new to you. Yeah, I guess that's kind of what I jumped on it for, you know, it's like I'd read some Marvel books, but I wasn't uh I wouldn't say I grew up on it quite, but you know, it was uh like oh, here's some new fresh things. Let's see where they go. 
Yeah, and, and it, it's like totally unknown, right? It's not like who's Thor going to fight today. It's just you know, like what is going to happen here? I have no clue. Yeah, I think if you look at the '80s comics, they were they'd already been through like two or three generations. You know, like the maybe every decade or so, you sort of have like uh, a continuity gets built up enough that you. Um, becomes a bit of a problem and they have to shake things up somehow or get new books like they expanded into horror comics in the 70s and kung fu comics and things like that i don't know yeah yeah i was reading uh i've been reading walt simonson's thor run and like part of that has thor has his like doctor alter ego he can like kind of turn back into just looking like a regular dude but hanging out in new york city and like apollo starts cruising through the sky amongst the skyscrapers just kind of like shows up and makes declarations and these kind of things. It's like nobody bats an eye. <laughs> it's just like, okay, that's the Marvel universe, like wacky things all the time. So I think that's what Shooter was always kind of getting at with, you know, like the Baxter building is rocketing into space and things like that. And, you know, like so much strange things all condensed into New York um like okay not in the new universe this is just real real ish people you know in the real world you know dealing with actual consequences kind of stuff yeah i mean i i know when you see an actual disaster 9 11 always comes to mind and then like the response to that and compare it to like what had happened in marvel you know decades before when you know galactus comes or something and everyone's so blase about it yeah yeah, that's why those those memorial comics always kind of fell flat to me. Like, I'm like, okay, Captain America's sad standing next to some firefighters now, but like, you know, we didn't have that memorial when like the whole we lost the Kree scroll like war. Or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it really uh, makes it like the disjoint between our world and Marvel world becomes really glaringly uh, glaring at that those kind of times. Yeah. It's hard to call the paramedic the real hero, like when you have to punch out aliens to save the planet all the time. You know, it's like, well, maybe Captain America's more of the real hero. So finally, Mark Gruenwald, the new universe is the world outside your window. The Marvel universe is the world outside your temporal spatial displacement aperture. Okay, Mark. Uh, kind of overdid it for yourself. Nerd. <laughs> That's uh, my father yelling at the nerds in college. <laughs> so I don't know. We've we of course have chatted about this in the past. Um, so we, there's like several ways I think we've looked at it. <clears throat> you want to take one? What's that? You want to throw one out as uh, oh, like my answer statement? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah. I, I I can give you a couple, I guess. It's sure. One being that, like the as we discussed, it's superpowers more than superheroes. So it's more like real life people who get powers, not just you know people who are expecting to run around in funny costumes and do things. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I think it, it does the 80s really well too. Like, you know, world outside your window. Like, so we get a much better like 1980s vibe than like Marvel or DC or anything kind of like still kind of sort of set in the era would do, you know, mm-hmm. just since we, we don't have all of those uh, strange super powered enemies all the time. So then we have evil corporate guys and, you know, terrorists and overthrown governments. And so, so I like the real world of you know, like problems too, that we get in the new universe. Okay. I was also thinking it's, um, it's sort of adventures informed by the uh, TV and movies of the time. It's like the original Marvel universe kind of take a lot of stuff from like, 50s monster movies and juvenile delinquent movies and things like that in the 50s 60s and so i didn't really notice it until i see like i was a teenage werewolf and it's like hey wait a second that's uh, peter parker uh. things like that you're like yeah like the fantastic four is like the scientist and the love interest and the action guy from like a they're like trapped on a desert island and suddenly there's like a monster from space that they have to fight you know yeah you're right it's very connected to those old like 50s sci-fi adventure movies yeah so this is the things that are more like the the uh, things that they're pulling from are more much more contemporary and so the 80s movies and tv shows and um so in some ways they end up feeling more like, you know, a TV show could have been made out of some of these for us as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot of draws from, and it's a great pop culture era to draw from, honestly. So yeah. I'm surprised I, we remember so much of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't remember calculus, but I remember the plot to like, <laughs> team for that issue of the uh, X-Files and, um, yeah um getting a little ahead um yeah and so it doesn't have a lot of like um the comic books had still had like the costumes and things were things that were from the 30s or 40s and these are much you know much more serious less uh, just taking things as as a given which is interesting as well yeah <laughs> I told you I was like reading some blog and some more blogs online and they were like, eh, they were making fun of them for like having discussions about whether you would have speed lines and things like that, which seems a little silly, but also, you know, it's like they were thinking about like, you know, how do we want to present this so that it's sort of new and different? Yeah. Give it some kind of differentiation point. Right. And obviously the timeline thing was a big deal. But again, it's kind of like, to me, as a reader, it's not that big a deal. But I get that that if it was going to go for a long, long time, right, like having real time, real consequences would, would probably be more and more important as, as things kind of happen, you know. Yeah, five years, that would have been a much different landscape of uh, characters. But anyway. Yeah. So shall we wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Let's see. Next time. Justice number eight. Justice's uh, war against the creators of addictive designer drugs gets even more brutal. Designer Dreth is written by Roy Thomas, 
Pencil by Jeff Sherwood, inked by Vince Coletta. Even more brutal. <laughs> Maybe they haven't been reading the comic. <laughs> Is that possible? I don't know. Roy Thomas hasn't been paying attention. <laughs> uh, DP7 number eight, the clinic catches DP7. And for those displaced paranormals, the clinic has vowed there will be no escape. But of course, Gruenwald, Ryan, and Tangal. Um, and yeah, so that's it for today. Uh, kickersinc.com, check us out. Um, give us a question at newuniversepodcast at gmail.com. Give us something to talk about or ask a question. And uh, we'll see you back next time at the Spinner Rack for some DP7 and justice. See you then.